Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning. We will be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, but we're not there yet. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor Armstrong has been so kind to me and asked me to come. I was in Germany. So last week I did three services in my church, got on a plane at five o'clock in the evening in Denver, flew to Germany, got into my room at 2 p.m. Monday afternoon in my room, sat through three days of briefings in Germany, got up at 8 p.m. Thursday night, Tucson time, 4 a.m. Germany time, flew back to Denver, got in Saturday at 3 o'clock p.m. in Denver, went to sleep at 7, got up at 7, and flew down here yesterday. <laughs> so I'm on Newfoundland time. That, that's, that's, I think, I think I'm about on Newfoundland time. I'm in my 29th year of pastoring and 32 plus years as commissioned service. July 15th, 1991, I took an oath. Amen. To uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I praise the Lord as I was sharing with Pastor Armstrong earlier that I've been given the privilege of defending the first 15 words of the Bill of Rights for 32 and a half years. The first 15 words of the Bill of Rights are a parenthesis in the history of the world because man tends to totalitarianism and dictatorship and autocracy. But the first 15 words are not the first 15 words on accident. They are the most important words of the Bill of Rights because they are freedom of conscience, which is a Baptist distinctive. I often say that the Bill of Rights is a Baptist document. You can go to Orange County in Virginia and there is a Leland Madison Park in Orange County. Pastor John Leland influenced James Madison. James Madison's home is about 10 miles from that park. And the church that James Madison attended, an Anglican church, was literally right around the corner, well, maybe more figuratively, it was about a mile away from Leland's church. When James Madison ran for the Constitutional Convention in Virginia, now remember that in New York, Governor Clinton, and in Virginia, the governors were against the Constitution. And Leland met with Madison and said, we Baptists are not normally in favor of you Federalists because we think the more government, the more persecution we have. <clears throat> But if you will guarantee freedom of religion, we will vote for you in mass. The Baptists voted for James Madison. James Madison went to the Virginia Continental Convention and won by, I believe, seven votes. And the next week, New York ratified the Constitution. The Baptists came back to, Leland, back to Madison, and in his first run for Congress, in the very first Congress, there were the only time two future presidents ever ran for a House seat together, James Monroe against James Madison. If this is a WWF fight, it's in this corner, is weighing in at 110 pounds, five foot four, James Madison, the author of the Constitution. And in this corner, James Monroe, the future fifth president of the United States. You can go back, as I have done, and research the votes. And it was Orange County and the Baptists of Orange County that elected James Madison to the first and beat, James, beat Monroe. James Madison goes to New York as a Federalist, not an Anti-Federalist, but as a Federalist, and says to the northern business interests, we need a Bill of Rights. He spent the first two years of that first Congress fighting for the Bill of Rights. And by the time he is done, he is able to pass what we now call there is free exercise of religion and government cannot decide winners and losers when it comes to religious issues. That is a Baptist document. That is a Baptist document. <clears throat> 
My primary role as a chaplain, now I get to do a whole bunch of other things we'll talk about today, but my primary role as a chaplain is to advise leaders on those first 15 words and the ramifications of those first 15 words. That our military members have the right and you must give them the time to observe their faith tradition and their religious views. Some people ask me, they say, is that hard for you to do? I say, no, because frankly, let's be honest, people say, well, there's no truth out there. Well, you, your truth is that there's no truth. You actually have an absolute. <laughs> your absolute is there is no absolutes. <laughs> I always believe that when I'm able to present the word of God, that the spirit of God goes before me. And when I'm given the freedom to present the word of God, the spirit of God does a work that I can never do, which is to change men and marriages and lives permanently by his power. Truths never shaken in an un-ever-changing world. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, <coughs> in verse 22, but ye are come to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the, and to, and God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him when he spake on earth, speaking of Jesus, not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. Do any of you watch the news? Shame on you. That is the most discouraging, depressing thing you can ever do in your life. Is our world being shaken today? <clears throat> he says, this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, rece we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. I just had a neighbor of mine come to me and say, we, we need to have you over for dinner. We want you to explain to us Israel and Hamas. Because their kingdom is being shaken. And I have a kingdom that will never be shaken. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Truths never shaken in an ever-changing world. I have the privilege of just coming back from my fourth combat deployment. I just spent the first six months this year in the Middle East. Um, I was based in the United States. I'll talk a little bit more about that as I go through the sermon, that particular deployment, but we were blessed to see 66 people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and I got to baptize five of those in the swimming pool at the base. <clears throat> I want to share with you some truths that I have learned in 32 years in the military. I want to share with you some truths about things that are shaken from man's perspective, but we have an enduring promise that will never be shaken. My big idea is God wants you to be confident in his plan. God wants you to be confident that while everything looks like it's out of control, it simply is not. God's big idea, or my big idea, is that God wants you to be confident in his plan. Number one, if you want to take notes with me, um, they'll be on the screen. Now, I talk like I've been vaccinated with a phonograph needle, okay? So, I don't know, where did my, where did my signers go? Are they, are they, 
They're over to my right. Oh, there you are. We talked yesterday, and I told them, I said, good luck, because I talk fast. And they said, oh, no, you can't possibly talk faster than Pastor Armstrong does. So I'm like, I'm in, I feel like I'm in good company. So we're, we're all good. Let me tell you the first thing I learned in 32 years of the military is the Bible is still the Word of God. The Bible is still the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All of Scripture, I wrote a 15-page paper in seminary on this verse. You say, no wonder you preachers preach for an hour and a half. If you can write 15 pages on one verse, no wonder that's where you learn how to talk forever. Do you know what the word all means? All. I have 36 hours of Greek. It took me a long time to figure that out. The word scripture is the word graphe, it means writings. The Old Testament was known, the Hebrew scriptures were known as the writings. Paul is writing to Timothy, he's in the Mamertine prison, he's about to have his head chopped off by Nero in 67 AD, and the very next year Nero will be forced to take poison and take his own life. Undoubtedly, Paul had two face-to-face -face meetings with Nero. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on that wall? Paul is sitting in the Mamertine prison about to face execution at the behest of one of the most despotic men ever to walk the face of the earth who takes his own life at the age of 30. Nero had his wife murdered or had his mother murdered. His mother had Nero's stepfather murdered so Nero could be the Caesar. This was a lovely family. In fact, Nero got so upset at his mom for trying to run the kingdom instead of him that he had her put on a ship and he had the ship sunk so that she would drown. She survived and she swam to the shore and then he ordered someone to go club his mom to death on the shore. That was the guy that took Paul's life. Paul is sitting there and he says to young Timothy, he says, Timothy, as I'm about to die, I want you to know one thing. All the writings are given by God's breath. That's literally what the word inspiration means. It means God's breath. It's, it's moving a ship with the wind through a sail. They're, and they're profitable. All scripture is inspired. All scripture is inerrant. All scripture is perfect. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in all righteousness. God's word is, the Bible is the word of God. So I'm, I'm in, at this base in Southwest Asia. And, and I come to the chapel in, one Sunday morning to preach. And there's this guy a little bit younger than me. And he's standing there. And he, he's just like so excited. And um, I walk up and he says, do you remember me? I hate it, Pastor, when people do that to me. I'm like, dude, seriously, do I remember you? Do you know how many people I, do you? and so you, but you don't want to say that, right? He's like, wow, your face is real. I don't remember him from Adam's duck, okay? So <clears throat> I look at him and I say, wow, your face is really familiar. And he says, we were together 10 years ago in Kyrgyzstan. I'm like, oh my goodness. I said, you were the deputy base commander. I, he said, yeah. <clears throat> he said, do you remember standing with me on that tarmac as we took seven heroes off of one plane in the caskets and moved them onto another plane? I said, I do. It's like it was yesterday. We stood out there for five hours in the middle of the night. I've had the privilege on two deployments to oversee 75 dignified transfers of our heroes who died in combat going back to their loved ones with their friends. He said, I wrote an article about it. And he said, you, you, you're prominent in my article. He brought it up online and we're sitting later on, it was after the service, he said, I want, he, we had this conversation at lunch and I sat there as tears ran down my cheeks as I was back on that flight line with those seven caskets. And he looked at me and he said, you had such an impact on my life that night and how you prayed and what you said to all of us. He said that I went and I looked you up online and he said for the last 10 years, he said I've listened to every sermon you've preached. And he said, I've actually listened to many of them over and over. And he, and he said to me, he, and so he starts quoting me to me. <laughs> I'm like, Wow, I don't remember saying that, but that's really good stuff. <laughs> I 
I don't know who that guy is, but man, that was good. Let me tell you something. The word of God is powerful. This, he was the deputy base commander there at that base. And he, he came to all of our services. We had many meals together. And he just said, I just want to, he said, I have listened to you preach every single week. And he said, my wife and I, when we're sick, she said, we go back and do the, the, the greatest hits of Mike's Sproul. I said, that, that must be like one sermon. I said, that list, <clears throat> you know, it's not Mike's Sproul, it's the word of God. It's not Mike Sproul, it's the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in all righteousness. But I want you to notice, number two, the second thing I've learned in 32 years is the gospel still changes lives. The gospel still changes lives. Romans chapter 1, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome. Paul is sitting in Corinth. He's going to stay in Corinth for 18 months. (laughs) Corinth, some people want to believe that the Baptist church goes back to Jesus. It actually doesn't. It goes to Corinth because that was the troublesome church that had a lot of divisions. So I know the church of Corinth was a Baptist church for sure. Uh, Yeah, they fought about the color of carpet. You know, I mean, they all the good Baptist business meeting stuff that you fight about. He said, I'm in Corinth. I've never been to Rome, but I'm going to write you. Aren't you glad Paul hadn't been to Rome yet? The greatest presentation of Christian doctrine is because he can do it in shorthand to the Ephesians at six chapters. He can do it in shorthand to the Philippians in four chapters. Why? Because he planted those churches, he taught them personally. We get the full range of doctrine about everything. What about Israel? What about justification? What about sanctification? How am I supposed to live? What are the tests of me walking in the spirit? How, what about sin? He gives us the full orb of all the gospel of Jesus Christ because he has to because he's never been to Rome yet. He says, as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you or in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, this is Habakkuk, he's quoting Hebrew scriptures, the just shall live by faith. You see, it's faith everywhere. It's faith and justification. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's called being made just as if I'd never sinned. That's justification. You come to that place where you realize I'm a sinner. I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be baptized enough. I can be catechized, homogenized, and pasteurized, and I still won't make it to heaven. Because that's not what gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said to a religious leader, you must be born again. He cut through all of his, oh, you're a great prophet, Nicodemus. And Jesus said, oh, forget that. He said, you have been born and circumcised a Jew, but you need a second birth. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, that's justification, to faith, that's glorification. Pastor mentioned that you've had a couple saints die. That's glorification. John says that we shall be like him when we see him, for we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. That's glorification. We are freed from the power and penalty of sin. We are freed from the presence of sin. We are freed from the dominance of sin and we're given a glorified body that will never sin ever again. Oh, what a glorious day. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. What a glorious day when we're glorified. But everything between the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you call out to God and you say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal punishment for my sin. But Jesus Christ took your wrath for me in six hours and he paid the price for the penalty of sin is death. But the gift 
of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift, not the work, the gift, being justified freely by his grace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by works, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. Paul tells Titus in chapter 3 and verse 5, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works or otherwise I would go to heaven and I would brag a lot. First base we were at on active duty in 1991, the two-star general kind of took a liking to me. I was a young first lieutenant. And his wife got wives together. And they did. Two-star general wife kind of mentoring the young wives. She's 30 years old. So they went up to the big house on the big hill where the two-star general lived. And my wife went up there, and they were going to have a Company grade officer tea with two star general. So they go in the house, and my wife's ooing and aahing. It's a beautiful view of the Sierras, it's Northern California. And she, she asked, she said, May I wash my hands? So she goes into the kind of the powder room <clears throat> downstairs, you know, and she walks in, and she, as she's telling me the story later, she's just mesmerized because adorning the walls of the bathroom were all the two stars' awards and decorations for his 30 years in the military. They were in the bathroom. In the military, we call that wall the I love me wall. Because <clears throat> they can't give you a pay raise for doing work, so they give you, you know, things that you wear. <clears throat> and um, so she walked out, and the two-star general's wife looked at her, and she said, hey, Elma, you probably are wondering why all the general's stuff is adorning the walls in the bathroom. And of course, my wife is 28. She's talking to a two-star general's wife. You are very respectful. <clears throat> and she said, well, you know, it had crossed my mind. She goes, I do that just so he knows in this house, none of that stuff matters. <clears throat> so when I was stationed in Germany... I got my wife a Euro license plate, custom-made Euro license plate. And those who have been in the military will understand the acronym C-I-N-C, SYNC. Does anybody, anybody know what that acronym stands for, SYNC? Commander-in-Chief, <clears throat> Commander-in-Charge. So her custom-made license plate says C-I-N-C-H-S-E. So what does that mean? Commander-in-Chief of the house. When I walk in the house, I know who's boss, you know? I tell people I run things in my house. I run the dishwasher. I run the vacuum. I... Where we live right now is called sanctification. Justification is the moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Glorification is when either through the rapture or death you see him face to face and you put off this mortal body and you put on immortality. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Therefore, we are unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord for as much as we know that when we labor for him, it's never in vain, Paul tells the church of Corinth. But right now we live by faith because all this life of sanctification, that's everything that happens in my life, moves me closer to being like Jesus Christ. And I do that as I walk in the Spirit and I live in the Spirit and I, I grow in the Spirit and I am empowered by the Spirit. And because of His filling in my life, I produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control, faith, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Not because I work hard at it, not because I grit my teeth, I don't, I don't look at some of my members and go, oh, I gotta love them today. When you're walking in the Spirit, the natural outgrow, the natural test of whether you're connected to the vine or not is that you produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's the tests, not a list of things to do. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering is a test of whether you're in the Spirit or not it's not a list of check boxes and, and I'm going to get a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a, a, a UEI inspection. If you're in the military air force, you know what that is. It's not that I'm going to have an inspection and I'm checking all the boxes and pencil whipping my life. No, it's I'm walking in the spirit and God gives me by faith his grace for moment by moment victory over my flesh, the world and the devil. That's by faith too. 
The entire Christian life from the beginning to the end is all faith. The just shall live by faith. The gospel still changes lives. I was deployed, and on our second Sunday, a woman came to church. After I preached, she and I stand at the back, and I shake hands and <clears throat> pretend I like you, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, I surely should get an Emmy some Sundays, you know, I mean, I'm joking, <clears throat> but um, and I'm shaking her hand, and she comes to the door, and I mean, she is bawling, tears running down her face, and she says, I have to talk to you. I said, okay. So for the next several months, we met about every other month, or every other week. On the third Sunday, she placed her faith in Jesus Christ. We walked her through her husband filing for divorce, having an affair while she was gone, fighting over child custody. One of the saddest things that I go through as a deployed chaplain is to watch military members to deploy, and two weeks or three weeks later, their spouse gives them divorce paperwork, and they're gone for eight, nine months, and there's nothing they can do to fix that. God still changes lives. As we walked our way through her commitment to Jesus Christ, she's now back in the States. I knew where her next base was. A pastor friend of mine, pastors just about 10 miles from that base. She's now faithfully attending that church with her young, with her, her girls. Her life was radically changed. <clears throat> Two weeks after that, a young man took my hand at the back after I preached, tears running down his face. He said, I've got to talk to you. <clears throat> he came to my office, and I will, I will tell you this. I, I don't know that I've ever seen someone so distraught. He couldn't sit down. He paced back and forth. His, his wife was having him divorce papers. We spent hours together over the next two months. In a few weeks, in one of our services, he accepted Christ as his Savior. He came to me, <clears throat> and he said, you know, he said, I have been baptized twice against my will as a child. <laughs> into what I now know are, are not what I believe. But he said, would you baptize me into my new life in Christ? The first Sunday I was back in my church in Colorado, he was home on mid-tour leave, and he brought his entire family that didn't know Christ. He lives about 150 miles from me. He brought his entire family to hear me preach and introduce him to them so they could hear the gospel. Here's a young man that went from, in our first meeting, being so racked and in such pain, and all I did was, over the next months, give him Jesus Christ and hope in Jesus Christ. The gospel still changes lives, but I must hurry. <clears throat> I wanted to give you this picture. This was Easter at our airbase. We had over 225 people crammed into a chapel that only seats about 145 or 50. We were bringing chairs from, from all the offices, <clears throat> lining them up. My, my team and I, and I was privileged to have a team full of evangelical chaplains. My team and I had been literally walking the base praying for this Sunday. On this Sunday, 17 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. <clears throat> the gospel still changes lives. It's, it doesn't, <clears throat> it never gets old. Number three, small groups are still vital. I've learned that small groups are still vital in Acts in the early church and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. They, 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 had, they had smaller group Bible studies and teaching sessions. Small groups are absolutely still vital. So I had to give you a picture of me on a combat mission. So I, I you know, the chaplain got to go on a mission. So the young man <clears throat> to my left, it'd be to your right, is the left seater. And he actually was trained by my son as a pilot. My son was his instructor pilot at Vance Air Force Base. <clears throat> and so he found out, my son is an Air Force Academy grad, 2011, uh, five combat deployments, about 3,000 hours in a KC-135 and he now flies for Southwest, just got out. There he is at Tri-City Baptist Church with his wife and two kids today. And uh, she's teaching in the Christian school. I've got a four-year-old daughter with him and a two-year-old grandson with him. And um, not that I'm proud or anything like that of, of my grandkids. My kids are sketchy. My grandkids are rock stars, you know. So <clears throat> that's 
All grandparents, anybody, any grandparent disagree with that? Any, any grandparent disagree with that? No, absolutely not. Our kids are, eh, 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 but man, I have great grandkids, you know? And, and what I found is because his unit from McDill was deployed there. And I had the opportunity of one guy after another coming and, and listening to me speak and then wanting to talk to me privately afterwards because they said, I knew your son. I want to find out who the dad of that man is. <clears throat> so this guy asked me, he said, <clears throat> at, when he came to chapel, he said, hey, would you like to go fly up over uh, northern Iraq with me and do some refueling? <clears throat> well, I've been a... So how you know an Air Force person... So we live south of Denver, <clears throat> and, and when the Broncos have flyovers of F-16s from Buckley Air Force Base, they fly over our house. You know how you know an Air Force guy? Is it doesn't matter how many air shows he's been to, when you hear the jets, you run out of your house and stand on the front yard, and you look like this. That's how you know you're an Air Force dude. <clears throat> it can be 10 degrees out there. The jets were flying over for a recent Bronco game. It was 10 degrees outside. I was in my shorts and my t-shirt, you know, uh, just in my, my shoes, my tennis shoes. I go running outside. My wife is yelling at me, what are you doing? It's 10 degrees out there. I said, there's an F-16. I have to go look at it. She goes, you've seen F-16s before. I go, but I haven't seen this one, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Small groups are still vital. I had the privilege of putting together small groups of, before I go on to this point, I had privilege of putting together small groups to, to do marriage rebuilding. <clears throat> took a couple of us chaplains, took about 30, 30 single people, but that were married, <clears throat> and started doing an all-day teaching seminar. We call it Strong Bonds in the Air Force. <clears throat> and about halfway through us teaching about communication skills and marriage skills and understanding men. Ladies, they're not that hard. Feed them and leave them alone. That's all they need, okay? So peace and quiet <clears throat> and feed them. My little girl who's now 33 and has a four-year-old boy or five-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy, she's a nurse practitioner. <clears throat> and um, she, was, she was me. She is so me. I just And so she would come to me on Father's Day and when she was little and she would say, Daddy, what do you want for Father's Day? I would say, peace and quiet. And she would look at me with an impish grin and say, Daddy, you know you're never going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> but in the middle of our, of our teaching, one of the young women raised her hand. And she said, I want everybody to know, and there's about 30 of us in the group, <clears throat> small group, about 30. And she said, I want everybody to know I've been texting my husband in California. And she said, here is what I just texted him. She said, sweetheart, I want you to know I need you to forgive me. She said, I've never understood all of our fighting. And she said, the chaplains have just explained to me better who you are. And she said, there's no reason for me to treat you the way I've been treating you. Please forgive me. She said that she read the text to her whole group. <clears throat> Fifteen minutes later, she raised her hand. She said, I got a response. And the response from her husband was, who are these people that are teaching you that and how can I hug them? <laughs> Small groups are still vital. <clears throat> Christian community, basic Christian community is still vital. I want you to notice number four, and I must hurry. Number four, the mission field still needs workers. Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even the end of the age. I got to stop and share the Greek with you really quickly. There are two commands in this verse, and the first command is not go. That's a participle. That's not the command. The first command is make disciples. There's two commands. <clears throat> Get your picture. Jesus is standing probably in, in, in maybe on Mount Hermon in northern Israel. <clears throat> he's called the disciples to him. This is after he's restored John, or restored Peter, rather, and said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, you know, that passage. And he's standing there, I and mean, he gives them this great commission. Now, if you can put yourself in the disciples' feet in their sandals, there's 11 of them. The guy they trusted the most because he had the money turned out to be the, you know, Judas Iscariot. And by the way, nobody suspected him, right? Literally, nobody suspected him. He, he had pulled, he had, he had tricked everybody. And, and so now they don't know Peter, the kind of the spokesman, has denied Christ and, and cussed and, and everybody else ran away. And now, now Jesus is giving them this great commission, 
make disciples of all nations, baptize them in name, and teach them to observe all things. What would you think if that was, talk about being involved in something bigger than yourself. Talk about, okay, so these are relatively illiterate peasant fishermen who are now supposed to take on the greatest empire that the world had ever seen and had been around for 500 years and had about 400 more years to go. What? And they, I'm sure they're going like, who, me? I mean, there's Thomas over there. He didn't even believe you came again from the dead. We've already started calling him Doubting Thomas. That's his call sign. Thomas Doubting, you know, I mean, that's his call sign. So you have to be in the military to understand that one. So that's his call sign. <clears throat> we still call him that, right? Doubting Thomas. They're looking around and Jesus says this. I've, I've asked this question many times. I've never found anybody to get it right. What's the next command? So I won't bore you with that because we have... Time limitation. The next command, there are two commands. Make disciples and look at me. The word low is an imperative. The word low is from the Greek word to see. And when it's used in the imperative, it means look at me. So it's interesting. The word make disciples is in the plural. He looks at all 11 of them and he says, you all, if you're from, the, Jesus was crucified in Judea, so he was from the south. And he said, y'all, <clears throat> Bethlehem, it's in the south. Okay, some of you really need to get your Israeli geography better, okay? <clears throat> He's from the south. And he said, y'all make disciples, and he gets to low, and he changes from plural to singular. It's as if he said to Peter, Peter, look at me. John, look at me. Thomas, look at me. He changes from plural to singular and, and says, look at me, I will always be with you. Keep your eye on me. As Paul, as, as Peter is facing being crucified upside down, I'm sure this resonated, he's always with me. As history tells us that Thomas went to India and was, was murdered in India, Jesus was always with him. Let me tell you something. The mission field still needs workers, and that was my working team in Southwest Asia. <clears throat> that was my working team. We had a great time together. Over the course of that, that, those many months, like I said, we saw 66 people accept Christ. Ten years before I was in Kyrgyzstan, we saw 40 people accept Christ. Before that, I was in Qatar and in, in, in Saudi Arabia, and on that deployment, we saw about 25 people, and I'm old enough to be a Desert Storm vet. Yeah, I know, some of you, that's your history books are <clears throat> writing about that. My office was a half mile from where General Horner fought the war. <clears throat> he was the three-star Air Force officer in Desert Storm. The mission field still needs workers, I've learned that. <clears throat> Prayer is still powerful. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. I'm not going to read the whole story of being in the Philippian jail and an earthquake happens. Leading up to that, that um, service on Easter, I literally spent hours walking that base, asking God for souls. <clears throat> we sang, I preached on nine reasons why I believe Jesus Christ is alive today. Because without Jesus Christ being alive today, our hope is what? Vain. It's empty. We see dysfunction. We see anxiety. <clears throat> we see the world being shaken. But if Jesus Christ is alive, then it's all under control. If he's not alive, then we have right to be anxious. <clears throat> Prayer is still powerful. Number six, hurting people still need ministry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Hmm. Do you know one reason that I'm more effective at 60 at pastoring than I was at 25? Because I lived through difficult times. The empathy level of living through difficulty, personal, physical I came back from Desert Storm, and I have had chronic rhinitis from burn pits ever since. I came back from Desert Storm, and I had an active case of tuberculosis. Health concerns, family concerns, <clears throat> deaths, medical concerns. Do you know what? You become a more empathetic person as you go through and you find strength in Jesus Christ 
because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. Hurting people still need ministry. <clears throat> I was sitting in the DFAC, which was our dining facility. I did more counseling in the DFAC. I would sit down in the DFAC, and there would be hundreds and even thousands of people coming and going, and I would sit there. And after a couple of weeks, everybody knew I was the senior chaplain. And it would be, chaplain, do you have a couple of minutes? And that would be a half an hour. I was done with my food. I was getting ready to get up. Chaplain, do you have a couple of minutes? I would sit there. There were many meals. I sat there for three hours. It's a, it's a weight problem we chaplains end up having when you sit in the defect for three hours doing counseling. But because hurting people still need ministry, that never changes. Hurting people still need ministry. <clears throat> This is one of our, our counseling sessions, our small group that we use. This is the, the location when we were talking about marriage enrichment and how to communicate and using biblical principles to help marriages be better. And then lastly, I want you to know this. <clears throat> God is still in control. I started there, <clears throat> and I'm going to end there. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you now nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. <clears throat> now, while that's a dispensational promise, the to Joshua, the principle is still for us today because in the New Testament, it's repeated, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, you can boldly say, what can man do to me? <clears throat> God is still in control. We read, I can get, nope, I went one too many. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. <clears throat> God is still in control. It was, a, it was a, a wonderful opportunity that I had in 2013 to go to Kyrgyzstan for six months. <clears throat> I had the privilege of overseeing about 35 dignified transfers in that six months in Manas, Kyrgyzstan. Literally right out the front gate of Manas is the Silk Road that Marco Polo traveled from Italy to China on. It, it's right in front of that base. <clears throat> 17 miles from us was a Russian Air Force base. And the Russian helicopters would fly at about 100 feet to 200 feet above that base just to let us know that they were there. It was our primary northern transit route at that time in and out of Afghanistan. In my six months that were there, 50,000 military members went through our base, <clears throat> normally getting armor up, getting their weapons, <clears throat> going, getting ready to go downrange, or they're coming after a year's deployment, they're coming back. <clears throat> Sitting in my office one day, there were three chaplains there, <clears throat> three enlisted, I had the privilege of talking my deacon at Tri-City into becoming a religious affairs airman, and then he was able to deploy with me. So I had my deacon from Tri-City Baptist Church for six months with me on deployment. <clears throat> this guy comes into my office. I don't, I don't know sometimes how you react, but after a while, pastor, <clears throat> you know, you think you've heard it all, and then you haven't. <clears throat> and I've been in the chaplaincy a long time and done a lot of counseling and this guy comes into my office big beard <clears throat> and so in those days a guy with a beard dressed like that you knew he's special forces you, you just you, you knew he was special forces so he comes in sits down in my office and I said can I help you he said well you're the only chaplain here right now I need to talk to a chaplain I said okay how can I help you he said well I don't even know why I'm here because I don't believe in you or God okay uh, that's a great way to start off a conversation. <laughs> so I said, okay, I got that. <clears throat> um, so why are you here? Well, he said, because there's nobody else for me to talk to. Great. So I'm the last possible person, and I'm only desperation. Wow, my self-esteem is through the roof right now. I mean, I feel so good about myself. 
<clears throat> and he said, um, <clears throat> he said, I'm just coming back off of my 11th deployment. From 2001 to 2013, he said, I've deployed every year for four to six months. <clears throat> now, when I tell you this guy was big, I use a metaphor to say he looked like he'd been on steroids since he was six months old. I mean, he was, I mean, he was huge. <clears throat> and in those days, you, as long as you had the tattoos not visible, so he was in a t-shirt and all tatted up. <clears throat> I mean, this guy was everything you would think of. He was, he was Special Forces, Air Force, but he had just come back from being in Afghanistan for six months. And as we talk more and more, the what he had done and what he had seen was, was horrific over his deployments. He said, I landed here yesterday, <clears throat> and he said, this morning I, I got a phone call from my wife who's living on the West Coast. And she said to me, she said, are you back in Kyrgyzstan yet? And he said, yes. She said, good. I didn't want to tell you while you were in, in Afghanistan, but she said, I'm leaving with our next door neighbor. I've taken care of the kids for the last 12 years. The next 12 are yours. She said, I'm leaving with the next door neighbor. Our kids are with the other neighbor. <clears throat> she said, I just don't follow me. Don't try to track me down. We're leaving. I never want to speak to you or the children ever again. <clears throat> God is still in control. So we begin to talk, and <clears throat> I just let him talk for three hours. <clears throat> Close the door, and he just talked. He started to weep, he started to cry. He would stop crying. He would weep, cry. He goes, I don't even know how to be a dad. I said, I, I really haven't been home. He said, I was there for the conception and, and neither one of the births, and that was it. He said, I really don't know my kids. He said, and now I'm going home, and I, I've got to become a dad and a mom. And he said, I really, he said, I know how to plan missions, and I know how to kill bad guys. And he said, that's what I know. <clears throat> I had 72 hours with him. <clears throat> I said, after three hours, I said, listen, I've got another appointment. I've got a wing commander's meeting I've got to go to. Can you come back later tonight? <clears throat> I'll stay late. I want to share with you some things. So we did. So I gave him a book on a new life in Christ. <clears throat> I talked to him for about 15 minutes, and I said, you know, this isn't the answer for all your problems, but this is where you start at go, and you can start. <clears throat> he took it went home. I said, can I see you at seven o'clock in the morning? He said, I'll be, I'll be here. We work six in the morning till six at night. And a lot of times it was six in the morning till nine at night, <clears throat> six days a week and generally seven days a week. <clears throat> we did that for six months. So he was back in my office at seven o'clock the next morning and I opened it up and it has, it's, it's about 30 pages with a bunch of scripture verses and it explains the gospel. And, and he said to me, he said, well, I'm, I'm through chapter three. <clears throat> and I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> take the book. He's written in it, written it, written it, written in it. <clears throat> and I said, that's great. So we went back and I started explaining and I only had about two hours with him, went through the first two chapters with him. <clears throat> and I said, can you come back this afternoon? <clears throat> I said, I've got another appointment I got to go to. He said, sure. So I said, finish it up. He came back. He came back that, that afternoon. And he said um, to me, he said, you know, he said, this is really ironic that I'm talking to you. I said, yeah, because you don't even believe in me. I said, that's, that's, that's kind of ironic. <clears throat> and he said, he said, can I just ask you a question? I said, sure, we've been talking for hours. He said, are you one of those born again people? <laughs> I said, well, I said, let me quote the verse. And I quoted John 3, 3 to him. And I said, that's what my master says we must do. So I guess, yeah. <clears throat> he said, you're just like my grandma. He said, have you ever heard of this thing called Awana? I said, well, <laughs> as a matter of fact, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I said, my church in Arizona, we have a huge, you know, proof workmen are not ashamed, and my kids are in that, and, you know. He goes, my mom committed suicide, and my, my dad couldn't handle it, had a mental breakdown, and at 14, my uncle took me, and the day I turned 18, he told me to join the military, and he never wanted to see me again. <clears throat> and he said, the only 
thing I had stable in my life was my mom's mom took me to this little Baptist church when I was seven, eight, and nine in New Jersey. And they had a small Awana program. And he said, as I'm reading all these verses, he said, these are all the verses I learned in Awana. <clears throat> he said, I got to confess something to you. He said, I was in a forward operating base. It's called a FOB. He said, I was at a forward operating base. And when the chaplains would come out to the forward operating base, I was the senior enlisted. <clears throat> they would pass out Bibles. He said, I would go to all the enlisted that took a Bible from the chapel, chaplain. I would take the Bible away from them and I would burn it. He said, I've burned thousands of Bibles in Afghanistan. I said, you know what? I got news for you. There was a guy that did one better than that. He killed Christians. And God still saved him. <clears throat> so we had to break up that. I said, can you come back this afternoon? <clears throat> Later, <clears throat> he goes, he comes back and, he's, and we're going, we're in the fourth chapter where you play, place your faith in Christ. He said, oh, I already did that. I said, when did you do that? He said, oh, back in the tent after we talked. He said, when you told me that God could forgive a murderer, he certainly could forgive somebody that burns a Bible. And I asked him to be my savior. <clears throat> I said, wow, that is great. This is Saturday evening. I said, how about if you call your grandma tomorrow morning? Because he said time difference. He couldn't call it then. It was a 13-hour time difference. <clears throat> so he said, I'll do that. <clears throat> so I said, listen. I said, I want you to come back tomorrow morning. His flight was leaving Sunday afternoon. Go to church. Then you can get on your flight. I want to talk to you one more time before you leave. <clears throat> Comes back in Saturday morning. Uh, Sunday morning, about 7 o'clock. I'm back in the office. <clears throat> and I said, I want to share with you. And I'd found a church for him in his home state near his base. I said, this is a great place for you to go. <clears throat> I said, let me teach you now where you can start reading the Bible on your own. He goes, oh, I've ever done that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I Googled it last night. <laughs> I said, what did you Google? He said, I Googled where in the Bible should a new Christian read. Okay, so I've never Googled that, so I don't know exactly what's going to come up. <clears throat> I said, what came up? Oh, he said, it said the Gospel of John. I said, that's great. He, I, said, I said, great, so you can start, you know, a chapter two. Oh, he said, I read it all. <laughs> I said, you read all what? He goes, I read the whole, it said to read the Gospel of John. I did that last night. And he said, in fact, he said, this morning I got up at four o'clock, and if I didn't have this meeting with you, I'd have finished it through again today. Because I said I read it halfway through. I'm in chapter 12 right now from this morning. I would dare say, Pastor, that in the day of being a Christian, he may have read more of the Bible than most Christians have in their lifetime. <clears throat> God is still in control. I looked at him. So we hugged after church, and he was getting ready to go on a plane to meet his kids. I said, It's not an accident that a born-again, Awana-loving pastor from Arizona was picked up to come to Kyrgyzstan on the other side of the world. And your wife wrote you to divorce you and you came into my office and you found Jesus. I said, God is still in control. 